Hey, what's up, Blazer fans? Welcome to the Blazer's Edge podcast. I am Tara Bowen Biggs, joined once again by Blazer's outsider, Danny Meringue. Danny? Hello, 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 hello. Oh, that All- sounds like you're in an echo chamber there. Uh, it's just me trying to motivate myself and then actually cracking an energy drink because it's been a long day already. Okay, well, we can do this. And it's not just us. Uh, I'm super happy to have a special guest on joining us today. I was going to list all the podcasts he was on, but then he said, you know what? I'm on actually more podcasts than that. So I will let him introduce himself. But first, <laughs> Dave DeFore of The Athletic is here to talk to us about the Blazers. And now that you're actually co-hosting a podcast about the Blazers, I'm super anxious to hear what you think. Dave, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be back. And this time you're not ducking me. So (laughs) always a good thing. More like Dave do blazers. That's true because every time you've been on, Tara's been gone. Yep. Every single time. I've I've basically just been like the fill in. I've entrusted a lot to you and into your hands. I believe one time I had to leave a note just to make sure everything got covered. And and you know what? And, And I was just so good that the athletic was like, well, there's only one person that could possibly have the Blazers podcast. There you go. Well, you're welcome. <laughs> I'm kidding. I, I am that curious. Wasn't it though, at all. I'm, I'm super curious now that you uh, are doing the, from the Rose garden with Jason quick. What is something that you have learned about the trailblazers or their fans that you didn't already know? Hmm. You know, that's, that's an interesting question. Um, you know, you actually, you sent this to me beforehand and I I was thinking about it and, you know, I feel like I, I've been sort of connected to the media with, with the Blazers, like between, you know, being buddies with Dan and, you know, hiking and all the guys up in Portland that I'm not really surprised by anything except for how quickly they will sell themselves on a guy being different despite the fact that we have a, a whole career, track <laughs> but you know, that that's might be the one thing where it's like, Oh man, we got white side. He's going to be different. I, you know, I didn't realize that the people believed in Dame as much as the organization, you know, puts lip service to believing in Dame that that's probably it. I think that everyone just thought, well, you get white side in the Dame, you know, bubble, and he's going to fix all the problems. And, you know, clearly that's not the case. So from the outside, you were surprised when you got like a little bit more inside and realized that everything that people, the fans and everything are saying about Dame, they like fully believe it in a way that you were just like even yeah. <laughs> surprised about. Yeah, I wasn't. I don't think I was prepared for for how real that is, at least, you know, to, to Blazers fans. Mm hmm. All right. Well, it's been uh, it's been an interesting perspective to uh, get from y'all. Is that a basically a weekly <laughs> podcast? Uh, we're twice a week. If you're if you're a subscriber to the Athletic, uh, once a week. If you're you know a freeloader just listening on iTunes or whatever. <laughs> Got it. Well, let's move on (laughs) and talk about where the Blazers are right now. The Blazers just lost to the Thunder. It was uh, not a pleasant game to watch, probably, from anybody's point of view. The Blazers really struggled to shoot. The uh, Thunder were wearing uniforms that looked like giant orange balloons. It was just blah. Not a a great night of basketball. The Blazers are not aesthetically pleasing. That's that's for sure. (laughs) The Blazers are now 9-15. 
there's a lot of questions uh, from Blazer fans about where the Blazers go from here. I have a couple specific ones that I want to start off with, and then we'll just see where this takes us. But my first thing, the thing that I woke up thinking about this morning is why did the Blazers foul so much? Um, They're trying to play defense. Yeah. That's I'm, the only thing I can come up with, you know, it, I, like trying to be physical, trying to set a tone early, you know, all that coach speak stuff. And sometimes when you're, when you're bad at defending, you know, you foul a lot straight line drives and a lot of dudes under six, seven. Yep. Lot, not, lot. not a lot of good size. And, and also not a lot of lateral quickness on no. that team. Like and, Kent Bazemore is about the only guy that can move side to side. Yeah. Especially now. Right. <laughs> so God. yeah, that's, that's kind of the, the issue. Um, you're not funneling to Yusuf Nurkic. You're not funneling to Alfred Camino or Mohar closer, Zach Collins. You're funneling to. Yeah. Or Hassan. Yeah. It's yeah. like, well, and not even just not funneling. Like, I mean, I think Zach's help side defense was sort of their game plan defensively this year. Like yeah. They knew they knew they were going to be limited. They knew they didn't have Nurk and, you know, obviously no Aminu and no Harkless. And I think that they just counted a lot on Zach's ability to come in and clean things up from the weak side. And he was good at it in the first three games. And then, you know, obviously it's been a disaster trying to trying to find somebody to fill that role. I think they actually got away from trying to fill that role. They just zigged when they wanted to I'm, zag. I, I think the biggest the biggest issue that they've had here lately is that Nasir probably should still be starting. Mm-hmm. And um, because of what he's bringing on the defensive end, and and it's not always good. And he's you know he fouls a lot, but the I think the energy is important there. So yeah, I think that um, the fouling is just an indicator of not really having a lot of good defenders, but people who are actually trying. Yeah, the, just looking up and down this roster, and that was kind of the question, Terry, you and I had kind of coming into the season, is that, you know, a lot of people thought that maybe Aminu and Harkless, you know, were, were, or even Lehman were kind of overrated as defenders. And it's like those guys, along with Yusuf Nurkic, covered up a, a pretty significant stink as far as the Blazers are concerned uh, defensively. Being able to be arm's length away, cheating off, helping off, Switching on on things when they needed to um, being a backline, really, for the guards. Um, I think it's being highlighted. And I'm not saying that the Blazers, oh, my God, what are they doing without Mo? What are they doing without Chief? I just think that the, the personnel that they have uh, in their place weren't exactly defensive stalwarts either. So it it becomes compounded. And so you, you get a lot more reaching. You get a lot more grabbing. Uh, I think Simons has been hit a ton over the last five games with fouls because I think uh, he's a bit of a long armed guy and he's young. And so when you get the hands in there and you're, you're a kid, they just start racking them up on you real quick. Um, so it'll, it'll be interesting to see how he is called kind of going forward throughout the rest of the year. So the Blazers came in this season or have for several seasons been playing basically the same defensive scheme and they had the same mm-hmm. basic defensive basic personnel to do that this year. They have a very different personnel. Uh, have they kept that same scheme? And is it time if you guys were in charge, uh, is it time to think about a different scheme? Well, I think that <laughs> with the big, I mean, they've got white side sometimes dropping into the first row, 
right? Like, yeah. I mean, he's dropping so far back and, and this is the issue is that Nurkic is very good about not getting too deep so that you're not giving the guy, you know, like a, a full head of steam coming toward the basket. Um, and Whiteside doesn't have that defensive feel that Nurkic has. And he, he's not as good of a communicator as Nurkic is. And, you know, I mean, like, this is the thing is that he's a huge downgrade defensively and offensively from Nurkic to Whiteside. So the, the drop-off should be expected even without, you know, factoring in Aminu and Zach Collins being out and, and all the myriad of issues going on with that defense. But I think ultimately, if you want to have a, an okay defense with a conventional big, you have to drop them in, in today's league. Cause otherwise you're going to get caught on a switch and you know, that's death against, you know, any team that's got a, a ball dominant guy that can get to the basket. So uh, the blazers could be worse. Yeah. That's the thing is like, it, you highlight that. I mean, the, the rockets are a team that just go matchup hunting, right? They, they, they find, they exactly. pick and roll you until they get you, get that matchup. Um, and it's why you have to play that drop coverage. And, and obviously that's something we haven't talked about a ton is Vanderpool leaving and going to Minnesota. Well, how does mm-hmm. Minnesota look defensively now? Do they look better? Weird. Uh, they did to start. <laughs> I think that a lot of that regression. was, I think a lot of that was cats buy-in. And I think that's sure. kind of gone maybe a little on the wayside. But um, I, I think that matters. Um, the other part of it is you can't switch to a. I, I've seen people criticize Stotts. Why? Why don't you switch across? I'm like, why the hell would you? Yeah, you don't have the personnel for that. There, there's, there's, there is, there was two players on this team who could switch. Now there's one. Then even then, it has to be the right switch in Baysmore. Yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, if you watch Mello on the floor, if he's up on the you know uh, right side above the break or or, or down low in the short corner on the right side, and, and a, a, a switch needs to come, <laughs> it's gonna sound like I'm beating him up. I am a little bit, but also I want to kind of highlight some communication stuff. You'll see him pointing and, and like, hey, you go here, you go here, you go here, and it's not to ease facilitation on the defensive end; it's to keep him in his spot. Uh, there's a little bit of that. I will say though, that his defensive communication has been good. Oh yes. And, and they need that, right? Like yeah, they, they need a yeah. vocal leader out there, especially without Nurk, without Zach, without somebody out there being, you know, kind of the quarterback behind there. But I think a lot of that people are like, well, Melo's really communicating. I'm sitting there going, he's communicating. So he doesn't have to chase somebody. <laughs> so it's, it's yes. a little, a little bit. Seems like yeah. an oversimplification. Yeah, I, I think he's. I, I think certainly he knows his limitations, but you you can't knock him for doing a good thing. Like that's the smart move. Like know your limitations and and facilitate the defense, especially since they need it. Um, but he's not. You know, w- when they signed Mello, as pumped as I am for Mello to to get signed because I do like Carmelo Anthony a lot as a player, and I think he's a seems like a very nice dude. Um, he wasn't the solution to their problem. Any of them? No. It was uh, just like, let's see what we can get out of him. Well, right. And, and, and so, you know, they, they were never like, this was never going to just improve the team in the way that it needed to be improved, which is on the defensive end. Problem is there's just not any of those guys out there. Yeah. That's the thing is like, when you're talking about like him communicating and, and trying to make things better, it's like, yes, it's good in a sense that that's happening, but it's also, I don't want to say it's like foolhardy, 
because it it does the communication needs to happen, but it's almost like when when they're talking about you know when a switch does occur or doesn't occur or or there's a breakdown, they're trying to communicate those things. Getting the right guy in the right position is problematic for this team right now because they don't have any of the right guys. Like I, <laughs> right. I like I know I know how awful that sounds. Like, but defensively, they are a train wreck right now. They they don't they don't have a positive a, a plus defender on the floor save when Kent Bazemore's on the floor. So, that, sorry. no, no, I was just say like I, I know how bad that sounds, but folks, we're watching the games. Like they they they, they can't stop anything right now. Yeah, and it's and it, it's that's bad. the issue. It, it sounds like what you're saying then is that it's not necessarily that it's not that the defensive scheme needs to change right now because the personnel that they have aren't able to actually do the defensive scheme. But if they changed it, there's nothing that they could change to that they could do even better that you think. Yeah. I mean, you don't have the personnel like the fastest horses win the race. Like we know how basketball works. If you've got more talent, you, you have a better chance of winning. And then the other side is if you've got amazing chemistry, but you still need high end talent and, and, talent at both ends of the court and they don't really have it. Honestly, I think recently CJ McCollum's been the best defender on the team. Can you, what does that tell you on that? I mean, I just think he's done the best job here in the last like three or four games. And, man and man what does that tell you? Yeah. No, no, no. Well, CJ himself playing his role. I think he's been probably their best defender the last three or four games. And that should tell you everything you need to know about the Blazers defense. McCollum's not a bad defender by any stretch, but he's not a great one either. And so if he is really like been the, the best guy, on the your, he's shining. Yeah, right. That's an issue. And for everybody who wants the Blazers to switch things and they want them to be more aggressive, you're putting a, a group of players who none of them save Kent Bazemore again are aggressive defensively. No, Dame is not a guy who jumps passing lanes. CJ is not a guy who jumps passing lanes. He will occasionally. CJ has moments where he's aggressive going for blocks, and that's yes, or, or or knowing when you know that that ball is going to get reversed to the weak side and jumping a lane. But he's not, he's not Chris Paul out there, you know, ball hawking, waiting for it, looking for that opportunity. So you, you can't talk about having this team, you know, play with length, play with size, play aggressive, try to get out in transition, all those kind of things, because. None of these, like, you know, you're going to like play a high tempo game with us on white side. Like it just doesn't, it doesn't make any sense. Like for everybody that wants things to change, the personnel has to change before yeah. anything else. Like they, 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 they don't really have anywhere they can go. I know we heard CJ a couple weeks ago, talk about the offensive playbook and how they're only running roughly 40% of their plays right now because of all the injuries and how the right. lineups are changing all that kind of stuff. The same thing is true defensively. You can't change your scheme when you don't have the personnel that you're intending to run. Like this scheme is built entirely around the greatness of Yusuf Nurkic. And without him, the integrity of it falls apart. And you're hoping that that Whiteside gave you like 70 percent of that stopgap and, and, and that Collins could cover up the rest. Yeah. And with without those guys, that's where you are now. Before we move on to talking about what the Blazers uh, next move is going to be, I want to stop and talk for a minute about the loss of Rodney Hood. Probably should have yep. led with that. Um, but with the way things have changed, so <laughs> well, things have things changed so rapidly that it's like, you know, that was like five days ago or three days ago. It's hard to remember when it even happened. And I, I can't believe I'd already just like moved completely on. I mean, not that I've moved completely on, but uh Anyway, I want to pause and talk about Rodney Hood for a minute. I mean, I don't, we don't, I think, need to detail 
how much of a loss this is to the team and how well he was playing. We've been talking a ton about the, uh, the, the lack, you know, where the Blazers lack in defense right now. Um, but Rodney Hood no longer being in the lineup is a huge offensive loss. So, um, I guess my thoughts for you guys are, um, offensively, where do they go without Rodney Hood? I think, I think they can cover for him, uh, on the offensive end, but I think he's been pretty good defensively for them this year. Mm-hmm. He was drawing the LeBron assignment. You know, I like, I, I know it sounds funny, but, but he's a big body and he doesn't get destroyed by guys. Like if he's trying to guard fours, uh, unlike Bazemore who struggles a little bit when he's got to guard a bigger guy. And again, given the roster construction, you know, they have issues covering that spot. Um, nobody wants Anthony Tolliver out there next to Hassan Whiteside. I don't think anyone does. Right. So um, I think that they can cover for him offensively to a certain degree. They need Simons to recapture the magic from the first, you know, eight games and uh, and, you know, come off the bench and and provide some punch. But I don't know. It's going to be tough. I I, I don't know. I, I I'm gonna. It's amazing that I'm on a podcast with Dan Morang, and I'm gonna be the Blazers pessimist. <laughs> well, you just haven't got me going yet. That's it's that's just, really all it comes it's down so to. It's so much. Like there's a certain it, it point where it's just like it. The hurdle's too big. And what's incredible is that somehow they're nine fifteen still. I don't know how they're doing it. It's Dame. And that's the thing is that it's, it's, it's both amazing and frustrating at the same time. So I want to talk about hood real quick. And then I want to kind of highlight that. Cause there was something Dame said after the game last night that I think is kind of important and how it pertains to that hood going down in the manner that he did was devastating more so than the use of Nurkic injury in the sense of, I think the story behind it was different. Nurk was playing his best basketball of his career, freak accident, um, all those things that kind of came together. Hoods had more of like a personal tale to it. A guy who kind of came from basketball purgatory in Cleveland, wasn't enjoying the game, um, was looking for a, a fresh start in life, questioning, you know, where he found himself professionally and, and the, the, you know, the ins and outs of the NBA on a day to day life. And really his love of the game, right? Comes to Portland, doesn't want to, you know, cause any, when he waves, just wants to endear himself to the team and, and then just try to find his way. And then he finds his home. He turns down money from another team, from other teams, um, during free agency, uh, you know, uh, and it was enough money to make a difference for those who, who are maybe wonder what that number was. Um, so to see him go down like this was, was brutal. And it, there's not, <laughs> it, you look at it, it was like, Oh, you know, you can, you can find a way to, to piecemeal Zach Collins, you know, replacement. They can next man up, you know, they can find a way to why side can plug in for Nurkic until Nurk gets going, you know, we can figure it out. They're out of men. Now it's like, it's full on Monty Python night. I'll gum you to death. Like that's the level they've reached. This is why I want to transition to Dame here. Dame is that night. He is, he is the, he is the voice of that night. He doesn't know that he's beat yet. And it's because of, it's because of his mindset. It's what makes him so great. And as a, as a fan and and as somebody who consumes the content, you love to see that in your guys. Right. I mean, that is the, like, it's not fake with him. He truly believes he can overcome anything and everything. And it's amazing 
But as I sit here, I'm like trying to be more objective about it. I'm like, damn, it's okay. It's okay to take a step back now. Because like you said, Dave, this is too much. Yeah. And I don't, let's say they make a trade and they make some sort of a run. They get the eight seed. I guess some people are going to celebrate that, but I'm going to like, what's the cost? You're going to play Dame 40 minutes a night and just drain every last bit of them out of it so they can get shellacked in the first round by this Lakers team. I just, that's tough for me to swallow, especially on the, when you see a guy like hood go down, mm-hmm. like I, I, I get the whole win one for hoodie, you know, kind of mentality. But at the same time, I'm like, maybe this is a bit of a sign that just slow things down guys. I, uh, two quick things. One is I think, um, as you were telling that story and you were talking about, um, you, you know, Yusuf Nurkic's injury and then Rodney Hood's injury, I, I saw a lot of parallels in their situation because, you know, with Nurkic and what was going mm-hmm. on in Denver, then he came to Portland, then he had a little uh, resurgence, a little renaissance here in Portland, kind of the same thing. And I think um, one thing to pause on uh, for both of those injuries is just, you know, I think you were going here, but then I think you got distracted by Monty Python. But I think you were going to, you know, how devastating it is for those guys as individuals. Yes, as human beings. Like, right. that's the thing. It's like, I and mean, for anybody feels so bad for them just yes. as, as players, you know. And I think with, with Nurkic, when he went down, I remember the first thing, I, one of the first things that came to my mind after wondering if his mom was going to be able to come over fast enough to help him mm-hmm. out was – um well, at least he just signed that contract and he's got stability. Yes. Um, you know, Rodney Hood is not in the exact, exact same situation. He, I mean, he does have something. You know, he's not, you know, Wesley Matthews, that's it. We're done with, you know, your contract. He's, you know, got a little bit of security. So at least for that. But just in terms of the way these guys had both come around and had come into who they were and had become both as players and as individuals super important to the team and the team's identity, just as they were peaking, or I don't know if they were peaking, but just as they were, you know, super important, that's all taken away. And as fans... That's really hard because, you know, we were just trying to figure out what our identity was and another component is of it is taken away as well as, you know, for those guys themselves, how much that uh, must be devastating for them. Yeah, it's never a good sign when it's the second week in December and your team's on its sixth identity of the season. Mm-hmm. Yeah, th- right? they've used and this is not their fault. Lineups, Dave. I mean, 11. listen, you, you, can, you can go to roster construction or whatever, but like the truth is, this team has been ravaged by injuries mm-hmm. and, and honestly, salary cap concerns back against the wall. I mean, you need somebody to, to take over and cover for Nurk while he's out. Like I get, like I can sit and justify pretty much every move. The Rodney Rodney hood move is paid off. I thought the Baysmore move was a good move. I like Baysmore a lot. Obviously Simons has been great. Nasir little was a steal. Like there's so many things that you could say, like, in a vacuum. Oh, well, yeah, I see why you did this. This is good. This is good. This is good. But then you get these injuries and then it doesn't matter. Now you, you know, you've got this roster that's right. Awful. I mean, you know, it's, it's bad when you look at the sum of the parts. 
So here's what I want to do. I want to transition to the next part, which is uh, December 15th is right around the corner. Like I just said, that's the date that a lot of players, Mm -hmm. not all, but a lot of players who are traded um, or signed extensions become available. Um, What I want to know is I want to know what you guys would do if you were in charge. And I don't want to ask you like individually. Dave, you tell me. Dan, you tell me. I want you guys to work together. You're a team. You've been put on a group project here. (laughs) And I want you guys to discuss what do you do if you're in charge of the Blazers right now? Problem um, is you only have two valuable pieces that you could potentially trade. Well, I, well, it depends on what you're doing, right? I mean, are, are you trying to help teams get off of a contract? And then basically know, you guys you know, decide, right? So like, it, it depends on the course of action. Now, now knowing Portland the way I do, I'm assuming they're still going to try to make the playoffs. Does yeah, LaMarcus Aldridge get you to the playoffs? I don't think so. Here's, here's a perfect point. Cutting Dan it, off before he can even start. <laughs> LaMarcus Aldridge path. I give you a grade on how well you work together. The Spurs do not make trades during the season. So everybody take that LaMarcus Aldridge trade idea and flush it. Is not I, I, I would not flush that idea. I, I, I'm that there's a. There's a good chance that that hmm. deal is still alive and brewing right now. Why uh, does it work for the Dan? What's your argument? But here's the thing: I wanted to rewind it back even further to, to Lamarcus Aldridge and the trade in general. I don't think, and if if, you, if there was a theoretical way that the Blazers could get Lamarcus Aldridge on this team without giving up a single thing, that that's enough to save them right now. But here's the problem. Not only do they they, can they not do that, they need to actually give up assets to get him. So I I think the way you look at this, and Tara, you and I have kind of talked about this off air for the last couple of weeks, is there's got to be a signal that this is being this is this is no longer about this season. Because I, I save, you know, one of the three to five best players coming on this team without giving up Damian Lillard, I don't see a way that this makes sense for them this season. And that's where I keep going back to. And so I, I don't Dave, when I, when I look at this right now, <clears throat> I, I throw Kevin Love and Blake Griffin into the sun. I, I did because it, it just doesn't matter about them anymore. They're older, they're injured, they cost more money and they're not going to be impactful in the coming years. And so you're, you're, you're adjusting the timeline to not this year, but next year and the year after that. And with the injury luck or bad luck that the Blazers have had this year, I think they have to be averse to guys like Love and Griffin. I think they, they have they've got to be off the table at this point in time. Now, I'm not saying you have to you have to do that all the time or you have to be risk averse when it comes to injuries. I think there, there are times to do that and there are times not to. I don't think this is a time where you can, particularly in, in Portland where I'm not going to rehash all the injuries. But the guys that, that the Blazers need to be looking at are – it's not going to be any secret from me. It's LaMarcus – it's Aaron Gordon. It's Evan Fournier. It's Harrison Barnes. Uh, it's Robert Covington. It's guys that, with the exception of Lamarcus, are a couple years younger than Dame, to be honest. And they fit into both timelines of the, what the Blazers are doing. You get good players that are not quite prime, but on good deals. They're multi dimensional, two way, larger. Uh, not necessarily defensive minded, but can offer up more defensive um, purpose. 
than anything than, than what the Blazers currently have because everybody talks about how the Blazers got bigger because they added Whiteside and they added Pau Gasol and it's like and Zach Collins was taking over the four at um, uh, over a menu, but in between they're small. They're still a six one point guard and a six three two guard, and okay. right now without Hood, it's it's a six foot four three. So it, when you look at this, Dave, that that's the way that I look at this, anyways. Is that is that how you're looking at this? If you're talking about how you're going to construct this team right now. Yeah, you've got to figure out what you're what you're doing. Which side of the fence are you on? Only I'm not team trade trade Dame like you are, Dan. You don't ever say that. I have never trade team Dame. Oh, oh I read. I just read between the lines there. I get, no, I get no. exactly what you're saying. Trade Dame. Trade CJ. <laughs> rebuild around. Rebuild around Anthony Simons. Okay, I get I'm, it. I'm I'm bringing you guys back into focus. So give me your bullet points on like the high level, high level strategy of what the, what you would do next if you were in charge of the Blazers. And then we'll go into details of it. Well, I mean, for, for me, it's, it's, it's about getting through this season healthy. Yeah. Developing Simons, developing Nasir little, you know, I, I mean, I hate to say it, but I, I would, I would definitely be, you know, oh man, damn. You know, you got this back thing going on. You probably need a week to 10 days in Miami, <laughs> you know, somewhere warm, somewhere, you know, where you can get out in the sun. We don't have a lot of that up in Portland. So, okay. so yeah, that's what I would be doing. At, it sounds like you're both looking at uh, Lottery playing pick. for the future. Yeah. Yeah. And developing the, the uh, current players. But Dan, there was a lot of talk about trade. Did, uh, Dave, does you, your you still plan also? Uh, what, what's your, uh, you know, your theory, I mean, about, uh, bringing so if, if you could convince some team to, to take white size money for something, you know, like some team feels like they need a big and he's an expiring contract. So it's not that hard to move. Or if you could get Aldridge, you know, it's just, you know, it is what it is. Um, Bazemore is also an expiring who might be useful to some teams. You know, I, I think there, there are moves that you can make. They're all around the periphery and, and just about asset collection more than anything else. But um, the big thing is just developing Simon, de- developing the young guys and, you know, making sure everybody gets through the season healthy. So you're ready to come back next season at full strength with Nurk, with CJ, with Dame, you know, with, with, Anthony Simons, who looks like a superstar with, you know, Nasir little who, you know, might be this multi-positional defender and, you know, like you've Zach Collins will be back. You have all these pieces to come into next year at full strength and be able to, you know, potentially make another conference finals run. So December 15th, are you guys making a move? I, I mean, I am, I, I'm making the calls. But I mean that that's not a secret. I mean, I've wanted to do you know, with the with obviously <laughs> I've been team trade CJ since you know the Memphis series years ago when they could capitalize on him on his momentum then. I'd, I'd never been a fan of the those two in the same backcourt. I love CJ as a player, just never enjoyed the fit. So um, if CJ leaves, Dame is the only person left in the starting lineup from last yeah. season. Yeah. And that's the thing is like, I think you're, you're remaking this team anyways. I mean, you're, you're coming back next season and it would be only guys left in the starting lineup with the exception of, of three games would be Dame and CJ. So you take Dame's running mate away 
and now he is uh, playing for the rest. I don't know. He's actually been playing with that developmental lineup quite a bit in the last few games. Mm -hmm. He's been playing, you know, they send in Simons and Scowl and Little. Uh, And then Bazemore usually, I think, uh, hangs out there as well. So Dame's been playing with that. But I don't know that – I don't know how – that's Dame the hardest sell about that. That's the hardest sell is selling, selling Dame. So in my mind, the, the process goes, you move the white side deal, you move the base more deal. Okay, so you and, think those go get done right away? Because so, we came into the season figuring it was going to be a trade, de- trade deadline thing. All these injuries have happened. They need help now. I think they need help now in the sense of if there's a deal out there, if there's a Boston, if there's a San Antonio, if there's an Orlando, if there's a Sacramento, those teams that I've heard are looking to be active on the market. And then here's the thing, because the organization kind of pushed the narrative of contender of championship, actually saying that word out loud, I think there's a little bit of pressure to make some things happen with a fan base with a certain percentage of the fan base. I think, some of the performances over the last two weeks have maybe soured some of those expectations to where that pressure may not be there. And I, I say that mostly because that leverage can be used in trade negotiations. And so that desperation, I mean, you know when it's there. So I don't want the Blazers to make any move out of desperation. But once December 15th comes around, I I definitely want them to be active and looking for the best possible deals. But if they want to go up to the trade deadline, that's fine. But the thing is, no matter what, they need reinforcements just body-wise. Like they, they are running out of competitive bodies to put on the floor. Hey, Joe Johnson is still available. Just <laughs> just throwing it out there. Listen, I would he take ISO Joe over Jamal. Okay. Well, I mean, yeah. <laughs> okay. So give your give your pitches on uh both of those guys as Blazers, because I've seen both of them brought up on Twitter. So um, pros and cons. I, Joe can he can play the four and shoot threes. Can Joe can defense? still play. No, 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 No. nobody available can play defense except for like Noah, maybe. And Corey Brewer kind of, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. But the defenders, any, anybody who can play two way basketball at any level of respectability is gone. That's just a reality. Like I, they genuinely just, but December 15th, there's a whole, Yes, and that, that's yeah. why I think you might see a, like Dave said, you might but see a peripheral type move. Here's the tricky part about December 15th, and everybody keeps bringing it up, but this season, I mean, remember, they've, they've flattened the lottery odds a little bit, right? Mm-hmm. There's not a huge incentive to tank. No. There are really no teams outwardly tanking. Of course, the Warriors are awful because of the injuries and whatnot. Memphis is awful. They're still trying to win games. They're not, they're not sitting people, you know, and they have some okay players in Memphis, not, not the Warriors. The Warriors have nobody, uh, but, but so, so there's not a lot of teams that have guys that are going to be available. Uh, Andre Iguodala will be available, but Jay Crowder, Memphis is not going to trade Jay Crowder. At least that's what, you know, I've heard from people around the team. Um, if they, they like, do, the price is way too high for what it, Portland it's going to be. Offer. It's going to be a couple of picks, which, yeah. you know, that'd be an awful trade for Portland because they need those picks. So, um, yeah, it, it, the, I know half the league signed new free agent deals this summer, 
But the truth is without all the tanking, I mean, the Knicks are going to have a ton of power forwards. Maybe Bobby Portis makes sense to a certain degree for Portland. That's, that's a guy, you know, or, or Marcus Morris. Um, but they're just not a lot of guys. I think that are going to be available December 15th, maybe closer to the deadline, but by the deadline, this team could be completely out of it. Well, that's the thing is I don't necessarily care about where Portland's at. I'm just wondering who's going to be out there. Who like the team that we always talk about, you and I have talked about really for a long time is Orlando and Orlando wants to move on from guys like Fournier from Gordon. And I've even heard they've soured a little bit on Bamba because of some attitude issues. So, I mean, that's a team that, and Orlando is one of Portland's favorite trading partners. Yes. And it makes a lot of sense because they need a primary ball handler. That's where the whole CJ thing comes up. The, the, the other one that makes sense to me is Sacramento because they've wanted CJ for a while, but they're also kind of heavy at the, at the, at the guard position now with healed and Fox. Um, but cause I mean, I, I think Harrison Barnes would be a, a, a great fit in Portland. Um, with what they are, what they want to accomplish and how well he could play off a guy like Dame and in between Dame and, and, and Nurk. Um, but I'm not forcing anything, but uh, until the deadline, but they need to move Whiteside's contract. They need to move Bazemore's contract because here's the crappy thing about hoods injury on uh, for the, the basketball business side of things. He's opting into that deal. If you, if the yeah. let those guys go, they were going to get 18 million in cap space. You know what they're getting now? 12 million. So you have an option of 43 million expiring money or 12 million worth of salary cap. Which one do you use? I mean, if you can't figure that out, just stay out of the salary cap game. I mean, they have to get something tangible out of this. And that's why they need one of those hybrid three, four, four, five types who can be that guy that, that rotates in between um, starting at the four, coming in at the five, you know, kind of being that guy. And they need a, they need a length and size of the three. That's why I think you just got to, or, or you got to get a hell of a lot bigger at the two and get an average size three. Like that, that's just the, that's, those are the issues that they're running up against. And those are the kind of deals that you look at the teams that are out there right now, who will, would be willing to move certain things around. I think those are the teams that you look at. So, but to, to Dave's point, if I understood you correctly, Dave, is that um, there teams just aren't tanking this year. And so right. not, there just not aren't like people who are like, to. yeah, bring me, bring, bring me all of the big contracts. I mean, right. Atlanta has all of the big contracts right now. Right. Um, OKC is openly tanking. Uh, are they? Yeah. I mean, right. Like they're, they're winning a lot of games for a team that's tanking. Right? I, I know that, but they, and they, that's are, the thing. they are on the record as saying so, they take on contracts. Yeah. So, so Gallinari is a guy, a, an expiring who might be available. I mean, for, for sure available, but again, this is just, you know, Portland shouldn't be using assets on guys like Gallinari. It just doesn't really make any sense. So, you know, you've got to take a long-term approach when you're building a team in, you know, in the NBA and um, they're not close enough to take a big swing at, at a finals run uh, because of health. And so I think that, you know, you keep the powder dry and you, you know, you hope things work out. You hope Giannis asks for a trade to Portland. <laughs> what? Right? Like <laughs> one that's what you really hope for. 
Why would those words even come out of your mouth? <laughs> what, what if he like, likes it there? Maybe he's a big fan of Tusk. Oh, God. Okay. So, <laughs> so anyway, um, you're both <laughs> looking at the future. You're both look, looking long-term. Um, what is your... Um, I'm guessing you you both don't uh, you know do your best to not uh, trade away or uh, give away a draft pick. What Correct. is the what is the is there a limit? Like, is there something that you would do that you would include a draft pick? And like, what would that look like? Top twenty guy. Yeah, I, I don't think you're getting. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, like would you would you trade a draft pick if you could get Ben Simmons? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Um, but I don't know if you're going to be able to get Ben Simmons. So like, you know, I think Hopefully that for this for a team, trade to Portland, <laughs> yeah. right. Oh, see, listen, that's, that's my thing, right? I, they, they got me on this podcast and now I'm just tampering. Yeah, with, I know now you're players. You sound like one of us. Yeah. I'm just tampering with players. You know, I'm trying to get everyone there I'm trying to, you know, <laughs> Miami heat 2.0. Okay. Hashtag content. I like it. Uh, I'm not sure how well you two work together uh, if to decide what you're going to do next. You just you threw out a lot of hypotheticals and a lot of names. It takes two to tango. That's the thing. It's like, OK, I'll give you my perfect scenario. The Blazers make all of the moves necessary to where they come in next season where their starting lineup is Damian Lillard, Anthony Simons, Harrison Barnes, uh, Aaron Gordon and Yusuf Nurkic. OK. Like that would now be my dream somewhere. scenario. Like if they could, if here's a, here's a, here's a scenario where I would give up a first round pick. They, they move the pieces necessary to get Harrison Barnes and Bogdan Bogdanovich in Portland for CJ and a first. Okay. Like I would, I, I would do that. And that would give you so much more diversity in the lineup, so much more size. Uh, and then you don't care at all where they end up this year. You're doing it no. for next year. So if yeah, they get them and they make it to the eighth spot and they, you know, get a playoff round, great. And if they don't, whatever. whatever. You trust I, I, them I would, enough in the draft with whatever they have left, you know, if they have anything left, that they'll find something. Yes. Listen, now, would I love it if they just slow played it after they made those moves at the deadline and got a lottery pick out of it? Yeah. Because that's how you build teams nowadays. There's, you have two avenues to team building. Be in a marquee market or a place where one of the top five players in the world wants to play or build through the draft. And Portland has done a very good job of, of, of acquiring players through the draft that develop on a timeline better than most people's. So I don't know why you wouldn't want to take that chance this year. Like I get the whole narrative of – it's the playoffs. The Portland loves the playoffs. They've been in the playoffs seventy percent of their total existence of this, as a franchise. All that kind of stuff. And don't get me wrong, the monetary value to Jody Allen and the ownership, like playoff games, is a lot of money. Even if they get swept and they only get two games at home, it's still millions of dollars. I get that. From my pure like basketball freaking nirvana. I would love it if they tanked, got a lottery pick, and made those moves necessary to come into a season where you had much more lineup versatility, everybody healthy, flexibility in size, and scoring punch from really everywhere. And for the first time in what feels like 10 years, you know, uh, matchup problems for opponents. They, they don't have any physical size mismatches. Like the the, the – the most stark thing that should come out from Carmelo Anthony coming to Portland is this is what it looks like when you have a size mismatch somewhere or a skill mismatch mismatch somewhere and a double team has to come. 
Like Portland has not had that outside of use of Nurkic. And even then he doesn't draw it all the time. And if you got in a big, Dave gets, like, I mean, Dame gets, Dame gets it in, all the time. Yeah. Yes. Uh, I'm sorry. I should have prefaced that with, with the exception of Dame right, because yeah, okay. he draws so much attention. Yeah. Uh, there, there's no like CJ's a good counter punch, but I think he's. I heard somebody say this about the Lakers today. Was Anthony Davis ever going to be a true number one guy? And I, uh, somebody I trust said no, but you know what he is? He's quite literally the best number two on the planet. Uh-huh. Like CJ, I look at, is he a good number two guy? Yeah, but he would be the best number three guy on the planet. Like he would having CJ be that third guy would just be brutal for teams to have to deal with. And if you had a, a, another guy out there with him who was truly a prime two-way player. And I'm not talking about the best player in the world. I'm talking about Harrison Barnes. I'm talking about a Robert Covington. I'm talking about a guy who on both ends of the floor gives you high level production. And right now the Blazers, even when healthy do not have that. And that's why I, I, I want to see big time moves made with these expiring deals and why I believe CJ McCollum is on the block and, and has a potential to be moved for the first time in his time in Portland. Okay, but it sounds like whatever the big time move is, we shouldn't necessarily expect that it's being done to win now. It's being done with the future in mind. And we can tell because whether or not, you know, how many, how, I mean, if I was another team dealing with the Blazers, I would refuse to deal with them if the Blazers didn't include one, somebody young or a draft pick. I would just be laughing. I would be like, you guys are like over a barrel right now. And in, until you put in one of these young players or the, uh, a draft asset, I'm not even talking to you. Dave, here, here's the thing that I wanted, I wanted to ask you. There's certainly different perspectives among owners. There's certainly owners who have open wallets and some that are a bit tighter. Even in a competitive state, how many owners do you think would like to see $28 million come off their books for essentially nothing? Uh, every single one. Okay. That's what makes the value of Hassan Whiteside's deal only so the high. Only drawback to that is that there are no free agents this summer. So having cap space – doesn't really do much for you. Here's where I think there's a, and I, I get you. And I think it, the, the expiring deals may have been oversold a little bit knowing what this class was. And this is going to be a little bit political in the sense of the China angle. How much does the salary cap drop? Mm-hmm. I see what you're saying. Uh, next year. Yeah. Yeah. So how much enough to where $28 million can make a significant dent in luxury tax payments. Right. For a team that's flirting with it. I think that's a conversation that has to be going on with at least five or six teams in the league. And so that does widen the pool, I believe, a little bit more than people maybe anticipate. Hmm. Uh, so um, I think we finally got to the uh, to the heart of what you would do. I don't know why it took you like 20 minutes to get there, Dan, because you're usually like pretty straightforward. But I was just trying to just kind of like – I've been trying to be nicer, cuddlier, kinder, supportive of all viewpoints, Dan, when it comes to this season. You can but be all I'll, of that and still speak your truth. But no, I just, it, there's, it's hard to in this season. And I say that because I, I, I think there's a hard delineation. Because I still see a lot of people who 
you know, reach out to me and say, Oh, you know, they're still in it. You know, they just need to get to 500 then figure it out. And I'm just like, for what? Yeah. But see the way you, the way you keep your, your cuddliness is that you let that, let people go ahead and have their own beliefs and just focus on your own. Like if I, if I want to have hope, even at this point that I think the Blazers, you know, can, you know, make a deep playoff run, that's none of your business with, I, if I hope that, and you, you remain, you know, like you can have your opinion on what you think the, the Blazers should do and like not go into how you feel about my opinion. <laughs> you know what I mean? Hogwash. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> Hey, well, so anyway, I think we finally got into uh, what you would do, but I want to know what both of you guys think is l- most likely that the Blazers actually will do. Now you, layer on on top of all of that, the politics and the – Continue to um, tread water. Tread water. Yeah. Tread water. That's they'll, they'll, it. Well, does they'll that make mean like make no moves or make little moves? Make I, you know. I mean they, they have a move to make just to fill because they have too many open roster spots. Mm-hmm. They're going to have to add somebody, um, but I, I just don't know who they're going to add. Mm-hmm. That's the that's the biggest thing. It's like who there's no nobody really out there. For the first time in a long time, we don't have a good idea who of who is truly truly available in that kind of like yeah no you can have this guy kind of range. Right. Like we know we know Evan Fournier and Aaron Gordon are on the block. We know Zach Levine, but they're still going to cost you something. Exactly, but I mean like. We, there, the, the, there isn't like in the past we've known like Harrison Barnes, you know, he'll be available. You know, there, there are these deals out there that the fit isn't just quite right. But even the teams that are you know struggling right now, the only other guys I know of that are like 100 percent available are like basically everyone on Cleveland over the age of 23. <laughs> so this kind of goes to like it's there's been some talk about how incredibly quiet it has been this year. Uh, leading up, you know, there haven't been any trades whatsoever and it's been really quiet. Is it kind of, uh, does it have to do with that? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, I think it's a, a matter of they'll get one. It, it's it's going to take one to break the dam. And then, you know, I think it'll be business as usual. But I think everyone's kind of playing their cards a little close to the chest because there's a bit more competitive balance or at least perceived competitive balance in both conferences. Yeah. We got a couple of questions. Uh, one of them, which sort of, uh, speaks to this one. It's from Matthew, uh, at Reverend Romulus who says, do you think Neil Olshay stays the course for whatever his original plan was for this season? Or does he feel the need to do something big to protect his job? Does his fairly recent extension protect him from blame? Same with Stotts. I think that's a really interesting question because this brings in, you know, the actual people who are doing the moving. Mm -hmm. So what do you think? Uh, I think I don't think Neil is going to get fired. I don't think Neil's worried about getting fired, right? Then then he's just signed a six year contract. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, this is not the Knicks, <laughs> right? They're not going to pay them to sit at home for for the next five years. So, you know, I, I think yeah, it's going to be fine. Um, I think he's going to stay the course. I think he's not really going to make any moves. I think they, you know, if. Best case scenario, they're the seven or eight seed and they get dusted in the first round. Um, worst case scenario, which is actually better, is they're, you know, a bottom six or seven team in the okay, league. Okay, I'm glad you clarified that because I was yeah. and get a, and get a decent draft pick. And, you know, <laughs> they get to run it back next year. You know, everybody makes through the season healthy. So, uh, you know. Yeah. I just I, it's it, they're in a weird spot. Mm-hmm. They're really in a weird spot. And the thing is, I felt completely differently 
before the hood injury, but yeah, this is just ago. one, right. It, this is the straw that's breaking the camel's back. Yeah. Mm-hmm. By the way, the mellow signing, it was good on the record. It was good. I'm, I'm here for the mellow signing. Okay. I, would you expand it, on that? I want to hear the good version. He's, he's been good. Okay. Now, now he's been in what not as ways? good the last few games, but he's done stuff. So it's more like the Olympic mellow. Honestly, it really has been. He's moving the ball. Doing there, a little bit of everything. About, we talked about the defensive communication. He's not shooting as well as he was. So the last four games, he's shooting like 32% from the yeah. field. Uh, so that's not great, but, but he has, he has been good for them and, and you know, on a minimum deal, who cares? Right. Um, is he stealing minutes from Nasir little that could be used for development? Yes, but that's mm-hmm. for now. I don't think that's going to be all year. Cause I do think at a certain point they will have to change gears. They'll have to read the writing on the wall and, and you know, this is a smart organization. Neil has been around a long time and he understands that, you know, at a certain point you have to start thinking about next year. I, I think that when, or if they get to that point that they will. Dan, three weeks in, what do you think about the mellow signing? Uh, I'm with Dave. I, I think that the, this is actually pertinent because we got, I had this conversation with somebody else last night that for the first, like what, six, seven games, even in the early couple of games where Mello struggled shooting, he was more Olympic mellow. Uh, I think over the last couple games, it's gone back to New York mellow, and that's because of the strength of the opponent. He when when things aren't going well, he's going into straight ISOs and the ball stopping and some of the negative things that people obviously associate with him. But I thought in the probably the first was six seven games, he was good. Like legitimately good. And I'm just, I'm not just talking about like the efficiency stuff, but I'm talking about being in the right place offensively, moving the ball, setting other guys up, being the outlet, finding guys in the, in, on the, the far corner, um, drawing the double and making the right play, taking the shot when the shot needed to be taken late in the clock and not, you know, giving somebody a grenade. Like those things matter uh, on a team where you've got guys trying to establish pecking order type stuff. Um, and like Dave said, I, I think at some point in time, there's got to be a, a reckoning as far as on like a, on his minutes. Cause he's getting like 32 a night, which is insane um, for anybody really his age that, you know, is out of the league for a year. But also if you're like looking forward to next year, not only for Nasir, but for Anthony, because you look at Mello, Mello's getting like 16 shots a night. Guess where some of those shots are coming from. I mean, they're, they're, they're coming from Simons. I mean, cause he was the, the bench guy. So if you're in a, skirt away from, you know, what this season is and look forward to next season. Then I think you, you ratchet those minutes back. You allow Anthony to be a little higher up on the, on the, the, the board, as far as you know, the shot opportunities and you let Nasir get a few more minutes and let him just kind of go, you know, I'd say, you know, set his hair on fire, but it looks like he did now. So I, know, um, I didn't have such a <laughs> with him not having hair, but I want, yeah. I want to go back a little bit to uh, Carmelo Anthony taking shots away from Anthony. Can you go into that a little bit more? Because I mean, they're not, they're not playing that much at the same time. Are you saying because Carmelo no. is playing so many minutes? Yes. And the thing is when he's, when he's out there, I mean, those shots had to come from somewhere. Like when Carmelo came on the team, he wasn't filling Zach Collins' six shots a night role. He he came on the team and is taking sixteen. So those shots had to come from somewhere. Somebody had to get a few less. And it wasn't like Dame and CJ were all of a sudden shooting like four and five shots less each a game. They were shot like each like a shot or two less a game. Um 
Dave, do you have thoughts on that? On if do you also agree? Yeah, I mean, there's only one taking him away from Anthony. I mean, taking him away from somebody. There's only one basketball, right? Like if he's gonna if he's gonna be taking 16 shots a game, somebody's gonna be missing out on shots. And you know, Simons has been the guy right now. I mean, I think. I think again, foul trouble is also taking shots. That's away not from helping, Anthony. right? Yeah, that's not helping. <laughs> uh, but also, you know, guys are playing less. He's out there more. I, you know, I, I don't know. Stealing shots is always tricky. Yeah, I, it's interesting. I, I, I was trying to figure out exactly who he was taking them from, and I can't figure it out. I don't it, know where not, they all came from. <laughs> it's not necessarily just the shot totals. It's when, like on the floor. Like if you look at the Blazers pre Carmelo, who was the guy that came in and was given the heavier load in the first half as far as like getting shots up? It was Anthony. Uh, same thing in, in the second half in that late third quarter going into the fourth quarter. Who was the guy who through the first, you know, six weeks of the season was that guy who got those shot opportunities and really had some big, big quarters, especially for he a guy. Did, his but day. he was also before Carmelo came on, he was also starting to kind of hit a wall. He was like. Anthony, you know, came out really strong, but he he started to struggle, and it's probably just because people are knowing better and are seeing the scouting report and are like, oh, okay, now we know what he's going to do. Now we know how to counter that. So I just I I just think it's, it simplifies it a little bit to say that Carmelo is you know taking away from Anthony's development. I don't think that he has as negative impact of uh, impact on Anthony's development as I think you're saying, but I'm no, not I thought sure. it was really like a huge impact. I'm just saying you look at the way Anthony's numbers pre mellow and post mellow are stark differences. Like it's not, it's not like little bits and it's not just the shot opportunities. It's Anthony probably looking at a guy he grew up watching and deferring to him. Like that, that's a real thing. Look at, look at how Nasir and Anthony and Trent and how they all look up to mellow. Hell, look at how Dame looks up, up to mellow. Like, I mean, it's, 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 it's a level of reverence. So I, I think as a young guy, he's going to kind of make sure he's not stepping on anybody's toes or, or, I mean, this is a, this is a kid that Dame had to tell, like, no, you got to put the gas down. Like you, you need to be aggressive and maybe he needs that reminder again. And I'm not saying it's this huge thing. I just think it towards the end, if, if the Blazers do flip that switch, that that's something to watch out for is to see if Anthony, you know, starts to look back up as far as his aggression his shot attempts and, and you know, uh, his level of play. Mm-hmm. I'm telling you trade everyone rebuild around Simon. <laughs> uh, I got one last thing to go before we get out of here. Uh, the Blazers did guarantee Carmelo Anthony's. I almost called him Carmelo Anthony. Uh, they they guaranteed Carmelo's contract through the end of the season. What would you guys uh, say you would like to see out of Carmelo? Um, you know, to say you know to confirm what you're saying now, which so far that his signing has been a success. Um, I, I, again, success is, you know, limited here. Cause the team itself is just not very good. Right. Right. Um, but I, I think if he can continue to do what he's doing, be a model citizen on the court, like he always is off the court. That's not a concern. Um, you know, he's well liked in every single locker room. Good with young guys, like help the young guys that are there develop right on his way out and, and you know, work with Simon. I mean, Simon's could learn a lot from, from Carmelo, to be honest with you. Be about being aggressive and, and trusting your skills, 100%. right? So there, there's a lot of good that can come from getting a guy, a hall of famer like Carmelo in your locker room when you've got young guys who are promising. 
but on the court, just continue to do his thing, be a model citizen, not try to isolate and break guys down. Like it's, you know, 2010 Carmelo out there and, and move the ball and, and, you know, hope, hope they win some games, you know, win the winner. That's not working. Then look for something else to do. Cause I think that's what I was saying last night is all Dame CJ and, um, Carmelo were all trying to score. They were all playing also. It wasn't working for any of them and none of them were trying anything different. I don't know what different options they had though, actually. Yeah. Think about it. Well, that's that's the thing is and I wanted to highlight some of these comments before we got going real quick. Um, but Dame said last night, but it comes to but it comes to urgency and focus and energy, where a team that has to have every minute of every game if we want to have a real chance. When it's up and down, the season is up and down. I think that's what we're up against. And that's what I spoke to earlier as far as like their variance or their, their, their margin of error going into every night. They need to be perfect every damn game to win basically any game mm-hmm. that that's what he's saying. And it, that level has reached that to Damian Lillard to saying that now. Mm-hmm. So there may be a chance that they can get to him and say, hey, we can't have you playing 40 minutes a night against the Oklahoma City Thunder mm-hmm. to get a win. Yeah, we, yeah a big we need to ratchet Oklahoma City Thunder. <laughs> yeah, look, we need to ratchet this back. Right. I, so, I think that's that's interesting because, you know, we were just we were talking about Mello and I want to circle back and have you end on your thoughts on, you know, Mello's performance for the rest of the year. But what you just said about him in the locker room compared to also or on top of what Dave just said is that maybe Mello can help with that part with the. He's certainly been on some bad teams. Well, I mean, you know, and you know that I rolled my eyes every time Pau Gasol opened his mouth. Um, but uh, and also we just had a tweet from Festus Azili about this year's Blazers team. Yeah. Just like, really, Festus? OK. Yeah. Um, but, you know, Car- Carmelo maybe can show people like what it looks like, you know, to have that consistent effort throughout the entire game. Like, and he can call guys out if he's not seeing it. Doesn't always have to be Dame. Yeah. I think it's a, I think it's a dicey subject. Uh, Even with as much respect as he has, uh, Melo's always been a guy who, eh, he plays one and a half sides of the floor. Mm -hmm. So that's that's a tough one for him to really, especially, I I, I know guys look at him a certain way and he probably has more cachet than certainly than Festus Azili and with what happened with that whole situation. Um, So, yeah, I think there's certainly some truth to that, but I think that's also something you got to be careful on. But I will go back to the whole idea of again. I know you said about him being signed, you know, through the rest of the year. I think he's earned it. And if nothing else, Portland needs a body that's competent and com- and confident. And that I certainly had my reservations about Melo, but he's he's been above what my you reservations. You had to- your reservations. You were pretty hot under the collar about it. Yeah, I didn't want to sign him, and I still don't think it's a great deal. I think it's awesome. Um, I think it's the best signing anyone's made this season. <laughs> I, I'm talking more about the sense of like, even when before they signed Mello, and Terrell will tell you this, I, I wanted them. And when Zach went down, I was like, this is not good. This is, this is problematic for this team. I know team. you're shocked that Dan was saying this is not good. Yeah. Um, but I, I never really bought into the white side deal. And then when Zach went down, it was like, ugh. and it felt like the mellow signing was a bit of a sideshow. So, um, but 
he he's been effective and I think he's been helpful in a sense, but I think Dave certainly is right that at some point in time this season, the shift has to go away from Melo. Like after the Knicks game tomorrow night, I don't want to hear about Melo versus anybody like the whole mellow versus LeBron going into the Laker game or last night against the thunder mellow versus CP three. It's the freaking it's Damian Lillard and the Portland trailblazers shut up about mellow and somebody else. Like, Are Melo going to get a, a, a tribute video from the blazers at the end of the season? Yeah. You know, the blazers really haven't been tribute video guys. No, I, I'm just making a joke. I, no, I know. I, 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 we, don't have to, we don't have to break I it down. I had to think about that because I was like, you know, there's so many franchises that do stupid tribute videos. And I started to think about it. You know what? The Blazers, they've, they've been a little wishy-washy with some Jersey retirements. But as far as tribute video stuff goes, they just pretty much let the fans cheer or boo, you know? Yeah, they let the, they let the fans just, do the talk. They let that kind of decide. Like when Myers comes back or, you know, if Aminu was healthy and he came back or uh, I don't know if Mo gets a ton of cheers, but he, when the, he got a, he got a warm reception, but that was it. Yeah. That yeah. That's what I mean. Like, I, I don't, I don't think there's going to be a, a huge, uh, but the mellow one, if he, if he does play another year for somebody else or something like that, and he came back, he probably get a pretty damn warm ovation. I would just say that Melo has certainly added entertainment value to a season that looks like it's not going to be as chock full of wins as we were hoping. And uh, I just, I think it's fun and entertaining. And like you said, you know, I want to always make clear that it is Damian Lillard's team and Melo is on it. And I think he's done, you know, a really nice job of making sure that everybody knows that he knows that it's Damian's team that, but you know, the media get all caught up in, in other things. Um, but it is fun to watch him like interact with these guys that he has all this history. It was like a whole separate and actually watchable, uh, storyline last night, watching him and Chris Paul interact because the rest of the game was just like, ugh, but like yeah. watching him try to get under Chris Paul's skin and Chris Paul reacting and you Chris know, Paul getting him a tech. <laughs> that was super annoying. Awesome. But it was a it's good amazing. story. It was interesting. It gave us all something to overcome together. And like, that's what we're going to have to, I think in a lot of ways, that's what we're going to have to hang on to, to get through a year that is shaping up to be pretty rough. I mean, like, like we've said before, you know, now three of the five, you know, most important people on the roster are down. Um, so season. we got to, we got to do what and, we can. And I want to end on this. And you almost need this to happen from the organization before it really fully happens. If you look at the Warriors, when Steph went down, um, there was this kind of like, I'm not necessarily saying it out loud, but this thought, right, Dave, that it's over, shut it down, we're tanking. Like mm-hmm. there's, there's been an actual mindset change. The Blazers have not made that evident yet. Mm-hmm. And so there's still this idea of holding on to this season. And I think that's in order to truly get to where you're talking about, Tara, like where you, you enjoy the littler things, you enjoy the the familial things, the the odd storylines or the quirky development or, you know, something different other than the, the, the box score and the game itself every single night being what you live and breathe. But in order to truly like shift think the, that needs to come from the organization. I, I think in a sense, it doesn't necessarily need to come from the organization itself. They could put it out through, through, through the Listen, media. Dame's already got the back issue. It's built in. It's, <laughs> I mean, we'll know if the back inj- injury pops up again. <laughs> that's, well, I mean, that that's our sign. Yeah. You know? 
since we're all Blazer podcasters now, all of us here, yep. um, you know, we, of course, <laughs> I'm just want coming for Dan's for job. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Get you, me on that coming show. For my, maybe you two just want to get rid of me. I don't know. What's, no. I don't know no, what's no, I'm talking about a TV show. Yeah, he, he, oh. I know they're listening. I know they're listening right now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Dan is becoming a little bit of an insider now. Like, the outsiders are practically insiders, so they need a real outsider, outsider. I'm the outsider, right. outsider. He's the insider, outsider. So you're the outsider, outsider, outsider. We got it all figured out. Yes. All right. I'm actually the outsider's insider. That's what That's what I am. Oh, there you go. Okay. <laughs> Okay. I have well, no idea ahead. how that works. <laughs> let's go ahead and wrap it up. You can find me on Twitter at TCB Biggs. You can follow the Blazer's Edge podcast uh, on all of the places that you get podcasts, where you will also find 50 podcasts that uh, Dave DeFour, our special guest today, is uh, a host of. You can find the Hoops and Talks podcast on Twitter at Hoops and Talks and in the Blazer's Edge podcast feed. Let's see. Dave, why don't you tell folks – some of the places at least where they can find your work. Uh, you know, I'm on Twitter at Dave DeFour NBA and I just post everything there. And if you go to the athletic, you know, the podcast part, I'm, I'm all over those pods. Yeah. Follow me on Instagram. If you like dog stuff, we do like dog dog and dog content and food and Volkswagen. Right now. Yeah, you should. I can't believe you didn't already. Take us out of here. All right. Uh, as always, you can find me on social media at Danny Meringue because the squatter got off my damn handle. Um, <laughs> so that's always nice to have. Oh, that's how you really feel. Yeah. Um, well, he sat there for a very long time and I was not happy about it. Uh, as always, you can also find Joe Simons and myself uh, every post game on NBC Sports Northwest following every Portland Trailblazers game. I believe there's what, 58, 59 left? I was doing the math the other night. Uh, I will have obviously a weekly feature out on Tuesdays as usual. And tomorrow's will be a kind of a, I'll give you a little hint. Now it's kind of a what now kind of summarizing some of the things we talked about here today and kind of what we have going forward. And uh, Tara, go ahead and take us out of here and let everybody know where they can find you and when you have the next what meetup. Oh, right on. Well, thanks for, I was in the middle of trying to find Dave on Instagram and now you got to throw that my way. Yeah. <laughs> the next what meetup will take place on Sunday, January 5th. That's going to be against Miami. So if you want to come welcome, uh, I totally forgot his name for a second. Myers Leonard. Oh Oh my God. Out of sight, out of mind, I guess. Uh, You want to come watch Myers Leonard play against the Blazers. We're going to be at the McMinimans on Broadway on January 5th. That is at three o'clock in the afternoon. Again, I'm on Twitter at TCB Biggs. Find us, give us stars, all that good stuff. And we will catch you later. Bye.